Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And also with us this week, we have our special guest, David Simos-Brown, CEO of 100% Open. And this week, we're discussing emotions and decision making. Um, Nick, if you could uh, kick us off by introducing us, perhaps, to, to David. Sure. Well, I've known David for several years now, and we um, his company, 100% Open, uh, who are an innovation consultancy, and our company, Aleph Insights, who, uh, as you know, we do um, decision uh, support and, um, and analytic, analytical consultancy. Uh, we've worked together and um, on, on a few projects, uh, including um, quite a major one, estab- helping to establish the... Um, uh, the Defence uh, and Security Accelerator, which is a uh, an organisation within MOD, which is there to try and uh, to try and improve the way that it innovates. Um, the interesting thing uh, about working with David, I think one of, one of the reasons why I think it works so well is that you know we as a company we we tend to approach things in a very analytical way. And um, watching David in action for me was really instructive. I think he's got a gift at uh, being able to. Take the things that customers are sort of saying they want, um, th- this, which, you know, can sound a bit boring when you've got an MOD person saying, well, we want this organization to do X, Y and Z. And it's going. And he would take the things that they'd said and sort of basically almost represent it to them, but in a way that was much more exciting. And which really kind of, you know, it, it was in a way just sort of restating what they were saying, but but in a way that really made you want to go and do it. You know, and and I think the interesting thing seeing him in action in general uh, in 100% Open is that, and I think knowing his history as uh, you know as having worked in marketing, that uh, he's got a really good grasp of emotion, um, and you know how how it intersects with with innovation. And and you know one of the things that I'm aware of is that we tend really to approach problems in a very analytical and dry way and we haven't really discussed emotion and decision making which is why I'd like to like uh, which is why I wanted David to come on so we'll come on to um, exactly that emotion and decision making and, and how what David does ties in with that but first of all can you tell me educate me a little bit more about 100% open and what it does and and maybe even your background before uh, founding the company David uh, thanks, Fraser. Yes, good to be here. Um, so I'm basically a recovering ad man. Uh, so I spent uh, 20 years or so in global advertising agencies um, looking at um, communication strategy mainly. So what do we say to people to persuade them stuff and how they're going to react uh, and how do we wrap that up in a creative vehicle that's that's kind of intrusive but, but, um, uh, but on brand. So that was a very interesting job. Um, for a number of years and prior to that I was uh, in a punk band um, called The Plastic Bags um, and well I, got, I won't go through all my careers but this is career number seven I think um, so we co-founded 100% Open almost 10 years ago can you believe it um, so there must be some mileage in the notion of open innovation which is um, essentially uh, connecting the suits with the sneakers so our clients suits like Ford and UBS and Lego uh, in big companies that have trouble innovating um, uh, e- uh, e- you know, easily and quickly. And we connect them with startups, with uh, passionate researchers, uh, with people with amazing talents and technology ar- around the globe. So we're kind of intermediaries, if you like. Great. Um, so, Nick, 
Um, maybe you can kick us off with a question. I think you've probably got something burning stuff that you want to ask David. Uh, and, and I guess starting us off with this, this, this area of emotions and decision making. Well, one of the things I, I mentioned that David has been for, I think, as long as I've known him, allegedly writing a book <laughs> about emotions. Um, and uh, I know that he's, yeah, he's just showing me that there is some of it. He's shown me a paragraph or two, which could, as far as I know, be all there is. But um, <laughs> he's, he's never in the mo- <laughs> yeah. right mood to write it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. no, I think I think it is that like, like, uh, it's actually, actually, it's about sort of how consciously you are aware of, you know, emotion when you're interacting with these companies, you know, particularly the big ones where there can be, you know, it can be quite a deadening environment. And, and, and you know, how, how it is you go about saying, well, actually, you know, this compl- that's not conducive to innovation if we're going to try and get something to happen here. And what kinds of things you do to try and change the way that people are feeling. Okay, so... Behind all this is a sort of observation, having had two daughters, um, that we're, when we're younger and uh, teenage and pre-teenage, we don't have any issues with expressing our emotions. They don't get in the way. That's what you're for, in fact, um, as a teenager, is to express your emotions. But as soon as you get into the world of work, these things are sort of kicked out of you or suppressed in some way. And it's I'm not suggesting that work suppresses uh you i'm su- i'm suggesting that you kind of conform to a cultural norm where where em- emotional <clears throat> um expression is seen as kind of somehow uh childish or immature or irrelevant to to the world of work and so i think that on the sort of ba- basic level as we grow up we l- we lose our emotional literacy because if you stop expressing emotions you stop kind of using them in in a, in a curious way and that's bad because that, that makes us less than human and as i'll develop the argument a little bit later i hope it enables it, it enables us it disables us from making decisions in the way that the human being is designed to so so the first thought in response to your, your question is that the world of work is a weird one in fact the world of adulthood is a weird one because we um having gone through this this wonderful flowering of emotional literacy uh, as youths and teenagers you you kind of spend the rest of your life thinking that um emotional intelligence is the suppression of emotions whereas in fact i i would contend the emotional intelligence is the exact opposite of that which is the encouragement recognition and categorization uh, of emotions um i want to uh, come in with chris you've probably got a question for david but just before you do as you were speaking one thing occurred to me david which is something I've often felt I've suffered from the last ten years or so, is um, apart male from male pattern baldness. There is that. Right. No, it's not suffering. <laughs> this is a okay. kind of its own yeah. kind of flowering, but in a different way. Um, no, is that? Um, yeah, I would go off to work, and uh, I behave myself, and you know I get angry with people, but I keep it inside, mm. and, and I, you know, um, and I behave, and, and I'm, I'm good, and mm. I come home. And I meet my wife and now with my kids as well. And it kind of just, and it kind of all comes out. And I feel that, you know, the, uh, I've often said this, that, you know, my work gets the best of me. My home life gets the worst of me in an emotional sense. Mm, that's interesting. Because I just sort of like, because this suppression that we've talked about. Um, anyway, that's just sort of, you know, just occurred to me as, as you were talking. But, um, but anyway, but, but, but so what you, I guess what you're saying very much makes sense to me. Um, Chris, did you, did you have a question? 
yeah, well, I, I suppose for, for me, um, so I'm a massive stoic uh, when it comes to, to emotions. I, I see them as a, as a as a hindrance to me personally, all the things you were t talking about, you know, emotion being the enemy of reason and, oh um, you know, that, that things like deferred gratification, which are, you know, the bedrock of, of kind of, you know, middle-class success and, and organizational success are kind of over, overpowered often by emotion. They get you to act in the, in the here and now and not, uh, not longer term. So, um, but I definitely acknowledge that um, the emotions uh, are a tool, right? And that the um, the uh, the ability to understand other people's emotions and not necessarily manipulate them, but work with them and mm. um, exploit them, I suppose, mm. is is definitely of, of value. So I suppose I'm interested in what what I'm missing out on, and there's probably you know it's probably something that is personality depend dependent I, I don't feel a great um uprising of emotions and that may be because i've been repressing them for for you know 25 years or whatever but um so so yeah i'm interested in what what it is i'm i'm missing out on by viewing emotions as something that other people that apply to other people that i can manipulate <laughs> where do i start um I think you're just English. I don't think you're weird. Um, and, and of course, English people aren't, you know, uh, the rest of the world. Um, there's there's lots of different approaches to how you express codify and channel emotions. The Japanese would be very different from the Portuguese, for example. So so let's remember we're, we're English and we're sort of aiming off, we're aiming off that particular trajectory. Um, for me, it comes down to business empathy, which is... Uh, a weird conjunction of words, almost oxymoronic. Um, and in our work at 100% Open, it becomes really clear that you can't objectify a, a partner and, and look at some, them as something to exploit. You have to look at the, you have to objectify the relationship between you and a partner. And it's so, it's really hard to do that without understanding where they're coming from, where they're going to, and how they're feeling. Uh, so the best, the best, um, the companies that best uh, conduct relationships outside of their borders are people like GSK, um, the pharma company, who have a gang of people in Surrey who are dedicated to running collaborative relationships. And you may think the transaction is all about intellectual property. We're going to rent your stuff. Uh, we're going to help you scale it. But in fact, it's about people. And it's about what their hopes, dreams and desires are. So, and without this business empathy, you, you, one is ill-equipped to deal with business in the 21st century because it is all about collaboration. I, now, you've been, as you, as you said, an ad man. Hmm. What, marketing gets a bad rep, though, hmm. precisely because it does try to do this. Hmm. And then, now, what's going on there? Sort of, why, do you think marketing deserves some of the stick it gets for you know, trying to man manipulate, you know, but at least it will persuade us to be excited about things, persuade us to feel emotions about things so that we can be sold things. No, is, that, is that is that a mischaracterization? No, is that unfair? No, I think it's fair game. Um, it also stops you smoking and puts seatbelts on you and, you know, stops you from getting aid. So there's 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 the sort of yin and the yang of, of all of that stuff. No, it's about being human. So I, I think that... Um, well, it's a bit different now that mass media seem to have died and it's more about, you know, who can influence your um, 
feelings on uh, through social media and how how overt and covert that is. I I would say in the modern context of media manipulation, the traditional mass media are more trustworthy and transparent than 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 the world of the internet. But um, that may just be the old ad man talking. Um, so I think that it is fair game, uh, um, and consumers aren't just kind of like business partners, objects to be exploited. That that it's a conversation, and if you ineptly try and manipulate consumers' emotions, they will just reject your brand. So it's a high-risk game, right? So if you're going to do something um, that is emotionally manipulative, take the Lloyd's Bank advertising, which has got lots of lovely black horses running around the screen. That that succeed on a number of levels, um, tradition, uh, grace, uh, power, um, movement, um, brand. It's, it's just, it, it's really difficult to unpick all that stuff. You wouldn't say that is deliberately trying to get you to, um, you know, feel a certain way and therefore open a Lloyd's bank account. It's not as sophisticated as that. So it is in a conversation between human beings or between advertiser and target audience, there, there should be a transaction of emotional content, just like there's a transaction of informational content. And why I got really interested in emotions uh, was that transaction is impossible to um, uh, plan, uh, characterise and measure because our emotional literacy at work, even in ad agencies, is is, is pathetic. So, yeah, um, and, I, and I, it seems to me that it's hard to fake. And I and I think yeah. one of the um, the best defences of um, of of, uh, of marketing was someone I, I was speaking to who worked for worked in business development for a legal firm, and she mm. said, um, you know, what it is is trying to understand your your customers. Right? It's, it's nothing more than that, right? It's trying to understand what it is and yeah. what they want. Business empathy, right? Um, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but but do you think so? So I mean, there's there's cognitive empathy, empathy, which is which is knowing or understanding what the other person thinks. You know, perspective taking, and and I think that's what you've talked about a bit. And then there's um, you know, that actual emotional empathy where you genuinely feel what the what the other person is feeling. You know, so mm. the way crying or laughter is is contagious, where you actually take on the emotions of of the other person, and that's that's pretty. That's pretty wearing. I think that's generally seen to be, um, you know, quite emotionally tiring, right? You know, if you're always, if you're in disaster relief or something and mm. you turn up and you you can't turn off that sense of the misery of the other people, you know, it's, mm. it's you can't do your job anymore. Uh, and then there's sort of compassionate empathy of actually being moved to, to act and um, act in the interest of the uh, of the other party because you're empathising in, in that way. Mm. Now, I think you've, you've talked about the the cognitive empathy, right, and the fact that you need to understand what levers to work on, and and maybe that's my perspective. What levers? Yeah, you're still to giving work. it yeah. a fairly psychopathic yeah. Chris yeah. Rag style <laughs> twist. Yeah. So uh, you you understand how to uh, engage with that person. Uh, in a way that is most productive, right? You know, that doesn't rub them up the wrong way, and 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 it, it's um, more than that. So, on. Um, so a selling strategy. So car car advertisers are um, notorious for this. They say, "Well, look at our specifications: lovely wheels, fantastic engine, amazing MPG, super." You know, and 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 they're saying, "Well, we we will persuade your left brain to buy this car through sheer weight of argument." Yeah, uh, and um, people, of course buy cars for completely and utterly different reasons yeah all to do with the sexiness of it or the safety of it or the yeah kind of emotional aura around particular yeah. particular brands so there's a there's a sort of i'm not 
I'm not arguing for uh, any kind of uh, cognitive empathy because you can get that in terms of a business partnership by writing down what your aims yeah. are and, and negotiating um, stuff. It, the, the trouble is processes like that don't give any weight to the real way we make decisions, which is our emotional circuits, if, if I may put it like that. So, so, and the more the more one tr- tries to kind of think about this, the less effective you are at yeah. doing it. Yeah. Which is a yeah. So, if you deconstruct it, you've kind of spoiled the you've, spoiled you've, the magic, as it, it were. Yeah. Yeah. So, but do you do you think that there is a there is a sense where you do need to have that emotional empathy, where you are feeling what the other partner is feeling to some extent well i would start with one should start with oneself right so um it's uh unless you can really decode how you feel about a certain person or you know idea or company or situation unless you it's very difficult then to say okay i understand how the other person is feeling so so i I think a little bit of self-knowledge goes a long way in this particular instance so remembering when you were a teenager and how you felt when you know mum did something or dad denied you something or you know you had your first kiss or whatever it was and and kind of understanding what sort of emotional aliveness kind of is and getting back in touch with that and I think you know starting with yourself is 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 good good advice and so um but that brings you to the question of well uh what am I feeling exactly and what is the language we're going to use here about mm. about our, our feelings? So I've spent the last <coughs> years um, counting the human emotions and, and deduplicating them. Because in advertising, I thought, well, you know, if we're going to if we're going to try and be more sophisticated about our emotional communication and persuasion, uh, then we need to have a language that we can use in the agency to specify a particular effect we're looking for, or you know. Mm. You know, or research when we're trying to find out what we've done. So I spent quite a long time uh, and re- doing some reading and and uh, you know, reading poetry and novels and everything, just trying to co- collecting emotions. And I've, I think I've got them all—an exhaustive list. Uh, Six hundred and two. Six hundred and two so far. Uh, there are about kind of twelve hundred or thirteen hundred um, synonyms, which are useful for uh, other purposes. But yeah, if you deduplicate them all, you've got about 600 and most people when you ask them how many emotions are they say well you know about six one <laughs> anger <laughs> well then that's that's terrible yeah. uh, so so you've got this amazing emotional palette and that that's only at the resolution of what um the english language can provide right so yeah. there's, there's more you can feel um and there's some wonderful things about that one is that they're pretty much universal so you can you can find most translation most emotions are translatable in different languages and in different cultures I'm actually a biologist by training, so I look at this in an evolutionary biology way. So emotions have utility of some sort, or we wouldn't bother with them. As you said, it can be quite exhausting. Mm. So, you know, why feel chagrin? What's the point of that? Um, why feel embarrassment? What's the point of that? Well, it probably stops you from, you know, sleeping with your cousins and doing things that are biologically uh, deleterious <laughs> yeah. uh, and it keeps the social glue of humanity together because we don't live as individual units we live as societies well, thing i i uh, kind s- of no, quite no, tempted what no you can come, d- d- hold on but just hearing the the sort of the two sides here almost speaking it does it, it strikes me that how you make your living 
and the approach to that is that not complete opposite to one another it seems to me um i well i, I wanted hmm. to just put the rationalist right uh, sort of analysis of decision making and how emotion plays into right it. so um the strictly sort of rationalist approach essentially says that all value the things we're trying to do the things we're trying to achieve um all values if you like or utility in economic terms um that all derives from emotion essentially like the fact that we have desire certain states of uh, states of the world above others the way that we're able to say i want that one more than that one or you know i prefer the taste of beans of this brand of beans than some other brand of beans um or the color of those beans all of those things are driven by emotion that's the rationalist approach is that value comes from emotion comes from us essentially having preferences liking certain things disliking certain things um in as david says hundreds of different ways but essentially they boil down to which thing which situations do i want to be in what feelings do i like you know if we didn't have feelings we wouldn't mind no everything will be as good as anything else right but I think where where the rationalist approach then says, well, in order to make a decision, you take into account those feelings, but you don't use those feelings, right? So the the rationalist approach, which I guess derives from the Enlightenment, uh, ultimately, and I think the Enlightenment's great gift uh, to the world is to say we should try to be objective, right? Which essentially means, yes, okay, we know that you guys are going to be feeling certain things, but we're going to make this decision in a kind of abstract mathematical way and say, okay, well, we've got a 10% chance that these 70 people will feel better and a 90% chance that these, you know, uh, 20 people will feel worse and so on. And and we're just going to make a decision essentially like that. And that's what most decision theory expects. Your utility function comes from how you feel, but your beliefs have to be driven by the world, not how you'd like it to be or any other. Well, Nick, I think that's well put, but you're making Descartes' error. Uh, and um, we are now post-Enlightenment, really. Uh, there's a wonderful book by Professor Antonio Damasio called Descartes' Error, in which he argues, and he's a brain scientist, so he should know, uh, that um, that your rational... It's a bit like uh, the System 1, System 2 thinking your your rational sort of architecture is one one of the levels of consciousness that you have and not a very influential one and the one that is late to the party so when you make decisions you are essentially always post rationalizing your decisions and you are trying to make sense of an emotional reaction that you have had instinctively so so descartes the enlightenment is it was i think great for inventing computing and maths uh but but led us astray uh in terms of what the human condition is um i want to just i want to i want to slightly back it up i want to bring in no i i don't want to I, hear more from david at okay this point. yeah i okay uh so i look, this is really hard because we are we all earn our money and have been brought up to think that thinking is the thing uh unfortunately it's just not uh so this is this takes us a certain amount of you know a deep breath and a bit of a kind of scratch uh, of the head but uh essentially the, the thought process and um logical thinking is a great trick uh, it's a great trick as i said for you know um uh, analyzing things and for making sense of the world and it's given us science and i'm a scientist so i'm not saying that's a bad thing but we have obsessed with the scientific method and, and scientific inquiry of being the only valid 
thing that humans can do and that's that's a, that's like you know cutting all your arms off and your legs because you're left with um and replacing know, them with uh, wheels uh, which would be you know useful on roads but not great up mountains so you're you're, you're we're focusing massively on us on a small part of the human capability and and to the extent that uh that, that um we're fooling ourselves the entire time we 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 think we are making decisions when we're not we're in fact post-rationalizing decisions yeah and i i think you know i i i completely agree that the the emerging sort of you know neuropsychological evidence you know is showing quite clearly mm. that decisions are made emotionally and subsequently justified by mm. um by rational decision making processes that, that you know that the, the, the um at least the scientifically collected evidence seems to seems to support that mm-hmm. uh the question is it, for me is not uh does this happen in practice but mm. should it happen in in practice <laughs> so so you know i've n- no doubt you know we we all know that um you know you see this particularly in in politics where there's been this huge drive in in government in the uk for evidence based decision making and <laughs> Um, the the whole thing really can just be seen as post hoc scaffolding for whatever decision was going to be made in the first place. Well, but even the most rational people sort of, um, you know, use all these cognitive biases to end up supporting the argument that they felt initially, which, which is the one that feels good, yeah. w- which is the answer that feels right. It's that one. Why do I think that? Ah, well, the reason I think that is for all these rational reasons, right? Mm. I, I, I get that. But should that be should that be well it just is nothing you can do about it what what you can do about it is bring it to people's attention which we are doing right now in this podcast uh so you can be more aware of your um humanness i'm not i'm not going to say fallibility because it isn't it's a strength of human beings this is what happens so if we all know that's what's happening you wouldn't have to sit there and listen to the government parrot the same old stuff about for example brexit as they have been doing for the past six months with with a broken record you'd have a more truthful discussion about why people want to uh, leave europe or certain people want to leave europe and you could name some you know truer truths about all that so so i think the what you said is 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 great and and perceptive and, and accurate but it's what you do with that information I, I think that seems it's a really good point. I, th- I feel like um, I think we pro- we might be di- we might be agreeing here um, because I mean, as I said, and I think I think the Brexit is a really good one, actually, because um, actually what it is we care about. So so the things we're really making decisions about mm. um, are actually things like I feel like I'm a European. I feel like it's emotionally important to my identity to be part of Europe mm-hmm. and for there to be no borders. And I like that, mm-hmm. you know, versus, again, completely legitimate. Um, I feel like I'm comfortable among people who look and sound and behave like me. Uh, and, you know, when we have just free movement of people, it stresses me out. I mean, people, you know, people, that's a legitimate yes. feeling we should take into account. So, and, uh, but, uh, but I think people uh, are, feel reluctant to talk about that. So we end up talking yeah. about things that are actually pretty irrelevant, the like the economy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think I do want to, I, I mean, having thought about, okay, what do we mean when us rationalists here uh, criticize 
emotional decision making. And and I think I can boil it down thinking about myself and when I've been ashamed to be emotional in decision making is that, you know, it's ashamed. when your preferences change very rapidly and you're and, and you're not really aware of that. So you get angry with someone because of some small slight. Mm. You then behave in a way that is consistent with you hating them deeply and and hating them for the rest of time. You do something which is way in excess of mm. what you should uh, of how you should behave because you should realize that okay, well, in about uh, three hours' time, I'll feel nothing about this, mm. and and I I sort of feel like well, you know, when you make those decisions, you should you shouldn't just listen to what emotions are going on at the moment. You should do something vaguely rational which is to say yeah but when i when i think about me averaged out over the next couple of years am i really going to be glad that i said <laughs> or did this and i th- i feel like most of the mistakes we make it, when we're being emotional are because we're not asking ourselves that question so, so a- i want to hear from david and then actually we, we're close to needing I, i've to got another question yeah. i want to ask him though so i want to hear from david then you and then there's something i want to wrap up on so david if you care to so respond. there's a trap here in, in confusing the rational with the mindful what 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 you're thinking about what you're expressing i think then is is the fact you're you are reflecting upon your emotional state and that is brilliant that, that's what mindfulness uh, teaches us to do you sit there and go well how am i feeling no one ever does that apart from people who meditate and who think about mindfulness and that's 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 a growing movement and more power to its to its elbow so i think there's nothing illegitimate about feeling emotions and and acting on them because that's we're human beings there is every you know reason in a in a social and business context to then reflect on your reactions and and take them into account next time so i think that that is nothing to do with being rational irrational i don't even recognize that word exists actually but it is more to do with being mindful uh, and, and emotionally kind of connected with yourself and if you can't manage that then you know uh, it's going to be difficult for you to, to to relate to others but the question we haven't really been debating is if this is what got me on this trail in the first place if um, as I contend and various other people contend that emotional decision uh, that decision making is almost entirely emotional then what's the mechanism? What emotions come into play? How do they affect uh, your attitude to the thing in question? How do you decide to buy this house rather than the house down the road? How did you decide to you know, go out with this girl rather than that girl? How did you decide to get this job rather than that job? How did you make the strategic decision in your business versus that decision? Which particular emotional mechanic was at play uh, in, 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 the, in these situations? And uh, uh, I think that's very that's very interesting because you then ask some deeper questions about the nation the notion of consciousness uh, and the notion of memory and and self. So it's sort of wrapped up in your em- emotional experience uh, codes memories in certain places and connects experiences in certain ways using emo- I would imagine emotional sort of um, chords that, that that bind different experiences so you could probably remember you know most of the things that you were excruciatingly embarrassed or ashamed about and you could probably remember the things you were probably ecstatic and and delighted uh, about and those those have a commonality to your to your brain and yourself and consciousness that 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 transcend um time and transcend uh, uh, uh kind of what um subject matter right so 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 the, your memories are are largely coded 
due to your emotional reactions to, to events. And your memories are very much part of yourself because they, they determine how you uh, relate things, okay, and what things you relate to other things. So, so, if, that was, so if that's all true, um, and there's some evidence for, for, for a lot of that, then there's, you start to get an understanding of what the emotional mechanics uh, are. Uh, so you can look at, which is why I've developed this map of human emotions, you can look at the specific emotional area in question and you can think harder, uh, think, yes, think harder about... Feel harder. Um, <laughs> well, it, yes, there must be, it's got to be a new word, think, <laughs> feel, you have to feel harder about, about whether you are embarrassed or chagrined or, um, uh, you know, ashamed or and and the the nuances of the emotions kind of within that emotional connection in in for in start to get you to understand why you've made the decision you you've yeah. made in a particular way i mean I, I think and i think this is where again probably uh we are dis are agreeing uh more than we're disagreeing is that actually a lot of emotions are uh connected to the world right they're connected to information about the world and um you know if if we have had a positive experience and we've encoded mm. that as a happy feeling that is associated with you know sunny days or um you know or free time mm. well that you know then we've learned something important which is well if we're offered the chance to have free time on a sunny day we will be more likely to be happy if we take it, if we take that chance, right? So, and I, and I, and you know, when we when we learn about when we yeah. feel unease because we met someone who we don't feel like we don't trust, and so we don't extend trust to them, um, that is going to be based on exp similar experiences with other people who have betrayed us, you know. And I, th so I think we are emotions are telling us factual information a lot of the time, um, but it, that isn't how they're presented to us. But actually, no, what what I wanted to um, uh, ask David again, I think this is you know zooming back in on his subject matter and on something i'm personally quite interested in what is the best emotion to try and stimulate in order to get innovation um there's a little set of them um uh curiosity is probably the key thing and that's that that may surprise you that that's even an emotion um but there are what I call cognitive emotions. There are emotions that, that directly affect thinking rather than, you know, purely felt emotions like um, rage. Uh, so so there, are, there are some emotions that are very connected with the drive to understand things and that give you an emotional reward for trying to understand things. You know, gi uh, given a problem, there's a certain amount of intellectual satisfaction from solving a problem. Um, but unless you're fascinated and curious and, you know, um, excited and expectant and obsessed and alert and in suspense and focused and all those sort of emotional things, you know, you're not going to bother with it, really. So. That's really, I mean, I, I've never thought about, I have to say, I haven't thought about curiosity as an emotion, mm. but it really makes sense. Like when I get presented with a new type of experience, like a new kind of puzzle or a new board game, something which needs to be figured out, mm. there is a distinct emotion associated with that. And it's mm. that desire to explore and fiddle with something and to see mm. how it works and to real kind of really interesting to see how the mechanics fit together and you know, you mentioned sort of, I mean, for me, maths problems, that getting to a solution in a maths problem is a feeling which is impossible to describe <laughs> if someone hasn't done it. It was like a really distinct feeling of satisfaction. Um, so, yeah, uh, no, that makes a lot of sense.
This is fascinating. I, we're just sort of scratching the beginning of something here, it feels. <laughs> Unfortunately, we need to uh, draw things to a close. But before we do, there is something I want to ask um, for all of us. Mm. Um, over the years, on and off, um, I've sort of dipped my toe into into Buddhism and mindfulness and meditation and so on. Um, and various things have sort of stopped me from going deeper and deeper into that. Mm. And partly, um, I think it's one of those things that meditation is often... Uh, uh, this sort of a truism or a cliche to say this the people who need it the most are the ones who are the worst at practicing it <laughs> is sometimes the case but anyway one of the things uh with buddhism that i've often been a little bit frightened of it is it's often seemed to me sort of uh, emotions are fun they can be really fun they don't always make us happy but they can feel to me with what makes us human yes um and it feels like going down that path is, and maybe I'm misinterpreting it, is kind of an erosion of emotions. That's how it can feel. But my question is this, is when I sit with these guys every week, um, I often feel I'm way more emotional uh, than you guys. And you're <laughs> way... down, Fraser. Stop shouting. <laughs> waving my arms around. Um, and you're, you're a lot, lot more rational than me. Um, that said, I've just come back from Naples, and I actually feel really... I feel almost <laughs> Swiss compared to them. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I guess my question is this, almost on a scale of one to 10, how emotional are you? By which I probably mean how in control of your emotions are you? I, I regularly get angry. Like every day I get angry and I might mm. shout. But also I laugh a lot. I love dancing around. I'm, I'm quite a, that kind of guy. Mm. So, um, you know, with, you know, some Swiss bloke being at zero or one. Um, we actually did do a podcast about the Swiss. Did we? I feel we like did, we're yeah. picking on them a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if some Neapolitan is at 10 in terms of our emotional, uh, how we uh, uh, carry ourselves each day, I reckon I'm a kind of a somewhere between a six and an eight i reckon we'll need negative numbers for chris <laughs> all... and, and so i'd like to hear yeah and if, if, if from you two and then and then from david well I, I i actually think if you take david's definition i'm gonna be i'm gonna say i'm in terms of experiencing emotions a lot actually you know i think as i go through uh, quite sort of spontaneously have feelings about things a lot but they don't really pay much attention to them. But in terms of control over emotion, I'm definitely at the Swiss end okay. uh, in that I think I do have the ability to sublimate it. And I think and I think partly that's just being able to say being able to look at yourself and go, oh, hang on a minute. OK, I'm feeling really grumpy, but I know that's because I haven't had much sleep. So mm. I'm not going to let that come out and ruin my, mm. you know, breakfast with my kids or whatever. There's a maturity element here as well, isn't there? Well, I, yeah. I don't know if it's that or if it's, you know, it can be a hindrance as well because it does cause you to say, God, this is flipping. Oh, this is great. I'm loving it. Oh, hang on. But am I going to be disappointed tomorrow? You know, <laughs> is this going to be not as good as I think it's going to be? Chris? <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's a there's a distinction to be made between extroversion and introversion because... Here he not... goes again. Look. <laughs> yeah. Because there's not there's not necessarily the fact that somebody isn't exhibiting emotions doesn't mean that they're not they're feeling, feeling them, them. right. Uh, and um, there's also a sense, like you were saying, of suppressing emotions because you are aware of th of the disappointment or the um, the problematic effect emotions can can have. So you don't want to get too excited because you know it might be an anticlimax or or something so i think i think there's a lot of uh, a lot of that going on i would say generally however i i'm pretty dead to most emotions but i am surprisingly <laughs> lacrimose um so okay. so uh but only on really specific things so like anything to do with my children mm. and 
I can I can go from naught to ten and be be crying, you know, in, instantly. Mm. Um, so so that's one, and and that that's when I understand the power of emotions because you there's nothing you can do. The moment that the taps start coming on, the more you try and suppress the tears, the the more <laughs> they just they just well up. For me, so. it's, it's only the railway children. The ending of the railway children. Oh, God, absolutely yes. guaranteed. That will get Nothing me Nothing else time. ever makes me cry except yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. David, for yourself. Well, uh, I, I think we're all 10, um, just not all the time. Mm. And that, as Chris was just demonstrating, you know, the the, the, the control meca- mechanism sort of just fails sometimes. But it, I, I, think, I think you make another important point, which is that people get character traits and emotions mi- mixed up. So if you're excitable... As a person, that's not an emotion. If you're excited as a person, that is an emotion. However, if you are excitable, you're more prone to being in that emotional state the whole time. So, so we have to be clearly distinguish character, you know, uh, ca- uh, character traits from from emotion uh, from feelings. Um, I think just go a bit deeper. So, you'll 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 feel you're feeling emotions listening to this right now, and it may not be kind of rage. It might be mild anger. It could be a slight feeling of, you know, crossness, or you may be annoyed, or it may make you a little bit irritable, or, you know, quarrelsome, or you know, in a huff. All those things are emotions. Emotions aren't just the kind of rage, ecstasy, adoration, terror. You know, things that even probably dogs feel. It, we have a more sophisticated relationship mm. with our with our emotions, and it's hard. And it's hard, therefore, to kind of pin them down and to think of them so i would say yeah pretty much 10 all the time but a lot of the things that condition our thinking and that we feel we don't recognize uh, that what's going on so it's about attention giving attention to to, to, to your emotions my my book will be called uh, making sense of the emotions which is deliberately impossible and and ironic look for it hitting the shops in 2029 (laughs) 50 (laughs) years time um but yeah i would so i would say you just just because you are not noticing these emotions doesn't mean they're not happening, and that's that's actually dangerous. Or if it's not dangerous, it's it's you know it's you you could get more out of life than by 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 measure, by thinking about your emotions. So so in terms of where you, where you started, Fraser, with the with the Buddhism thing, um, I do meditate. I've start I, uh, I'm not very good at it, um, and uh, it doesn't suppress your emotional responses it simply helps you to think about them to make sense of them and to as nick was talking about um allow for them and i think there's a bit of you know truthfulness to yourself is is probably it's probably a good idea and a little bit of self-awareness is is a good idea and it's you know it's surprisingly rich the palette of emotions there, there are as i said over 600 of them and you know if you're in a bad situation uh, you might want to distinguish between feeling, you know, victimized or, or plagued or hunted or abandoned. These, these are these are your, your how you will react to those different emotional, um, different emotions. Give you different strategies so and different ways of getting out of it. So the the more you can recognize how, how you feel about a good thing, whether it's positive or negative, the more sophisticated and uh, helpful will be your re- response. So I've got I've got come a long way from, I think you know selling people cars and stuff um 
uh, and and the journey has been one of you know it's, it's been absolutely fascinating to discover a bit more about myself and about you know hu hu human nature um and i think we're really i think you said we're scratching the surface in this conversation i think we're scratching the surface in our understanding of how you, you connect uh, your conscious uh, levels of thought there are several of them with your emotional response to things and um uh, and therefore to be able to understand how really people make uh, make decisions but there are some important clues i think we've been discovering and and talking about today um if you do accept that a lot of decision making is post-rational if you do accept that you know we're um sort of emotionally um uh kind of dumbing down uh, at work if you if you do accept that there's there's a sort of emotional truth about certain certain things and i think we've learned something about ourselves that will help us, us have better more creative more fulfilled lives but also how to communicate and empathize and possibly influence others there's something quite satisfying about all that um okay so we'll, we'll finish there uh thank you as always for listening to the cognitive engineering podcast We've been here with myself, Fraser McGrew, and uh, Nick Hare and Chris Rag of Aleph Insights. Um, but I'd just like to extend a special thank you uh, to David Simos-Brown for joining us today. Uh, thank you for being with us. And, uh, and until next time, goodbye. You're welcome. I might want to rename it the Cognitive and Emotional Engineering <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs>